Early this morning, uh, Navarra Media were taken down by YouTube. There was plenty of cross-party outrage, uh, a huge amount of social media buzz, and finally, YouTube relented. It was precisely uh, the big tech company free speech attack that plenty on the left, including members of the Navarra team, revel in. Uh, when it happens to those on the right. Join me and Guido editor Paul Staines as we take you through the events of the day. Early this morning, Navarra Media put out a statement saying that their YouTube channel had been deleted without warning or explanation. Guido didn't have any reason to doubt this because in fact it happened to Talk Radio's YouTube channel earlier in the year Uh, and once again shortly after a huge amount of public outrage the channel was reinstated. Uh, Guido, The Spectator, The Sun, Unheard, Julia Hartley Brewer, David Davis took up the fight on behalf of Navarra Media, along with all their left-wing online minions, and we got the channel reinstated, because for us, free speech works both ways. Uh, And we argued that even though we have huge political disagreements, they surely have to have the right to put out the content they want on YouTube without having to constantly look over their shoulder in fear that a, you know YouTube might arbitrarily take away that right from them. So the channel came back online at about two o'clock. But of course, uh, beyond the process of actually getting the channel back and the fact that they it was done without warning and uh, as uh, as we recalled uh, about three o'clock in the afternoon uh, we understand Navarra still haven't had an explanation from YouTube it does open up a whole can of worms doesn't it Paul about the potential hypocrisy of the left when it comes to free speech a right to an online social media platform uh, which they've talked about many times over the last few years well, I think, I think the difference in attitude was best summarised by their uh, media e- editor who tweeted out a few months ago or last year when Trump was uh, deplatformed, no one has a right to a platform. In fact, I think we might have the tweets um, to hand. So there you see, he's gloating when someone else is deplatformed, but when it happens to them, it's a different matter. Uh, I think the lack of consistency isn't a surprise because the left, apart from the libertarian left, have a very confused attitude towards this because they see free speech as uh, something dangerous when it uh, says things that they don't agree with. And in that case, they think it's almost violent. I mean, you, t- you hear them in college campuses talk about it's a microaggression uh, when someone says something they don't like and that it's harming them in some way. Well. You don't have a right not to be offended. You don't have a right not to hear things you don't like. But people do have a right to free speech. And that uh, dichotomy for the left is always going to be problematic unless they return to an age gone past where people like George Orwell, who believed in freedom of speech for even people you don't disagree disagree with. And traditionally, that was a left-wing position. But something's happened since uh, the last couple of decades where it starts on campuses and they don't tolerate things they don't like, and they don't want to hear. 
I, I think the, the reaction's been very interesting. Uh, just before we sat down to record this, uh, Ash Sarkar and Michael Walker, both of Navara, appeared on Owen Jones' YouTube channel uh, ahead of uh, a video that Navara themselves are going to be putting out at about five o'clock. This isn't an example of cancel culture. When people are talking about cancel culture, what they're talking about are the informal mechanisms of outrage, which either then serve to curtail somebody's access to a platform or have them being sanctioned in some other way, like losing their job. All right. Now, we've actually had some really, I think, quite critical discussions about cancel culture, where we've talked about the fact that, you know, it doesn't exist necessarily in the way that the right seem to be using it. Right. But we have also talked about, well, where are the limits in terms of being able to expect somebody to lose their job um, because they've said something which is transphobic or they've said something which is racist? You know, there is not, I think, a clear and easy line here. And it is something that should be uh, critiqued and negotiated and, and careful attention paid. I think that's perfectly fine. And, and what I thought was really interesting is, you know, these these opinion writers on the left, uh, you know, they spend an awful lot of time in education at university. They really think about these issues and often they have an answer for everything. Now, I agree with almost all of them, but they do think they have an answer for everything. But they got into the the meat of the issue, which is, where is the line between acceptable free speech and the right of big tech you know, companies like YouTube to clamp down on that? And they didn't actually have an answer. They talked about Donald Trump. They talked uh, about people like... Uh, you know, uh, the sort of far-right conspiracy theorists in, in, in America. And all they could say was there are questions to be answered. Uh, Ash Sarkar floated the idea of a sort of democratic accountability uh, for these uh, online tech companies, but they don't have an answer because ideologically the position is completely inconsistent because they have built uh, an ideology on free speech around the presumption that trendy left-wing views are safe, so they would never have to, you know, confront this particular issue, whereas they can perfect, you know, they can justify, oh, well, certain right-wing speech incites violence, or, uh, you know, if you say something unacceptable on Twitter, well, it's a private company. They can do whatever they want. They don't have to have you on their platform. As the, uh, one of the digital editors' tweets that we brought up earlier said, you know, you don't have a right to a Twitter account. Well, you can extend that. You don't have a right to a YouTube account. Uh, and it's, it's particularly difficult for Navara because uh, they were just on a, a BBC podcast. Uh, Aaron Bastani was on a BBC podcast a few weeks ago, basically saying that all, uh, uh, you know, a, a large plurality of their revenue, if not a majority, now comes from YouTube. And of course, that is quite a dangerous business model uh, when you're putting out a lot of content you know, via another, a third party platform like YouTube. And you, you, it isn't mainly built on you know, uh, ads as we do uh, at Guido. You can't control that. Then you've got to abide by other people's editorial standards, which I personally wouldn't like to work to on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, I mean, with YouTube, uh, we had an example where we had an, uh, a clip of Nadine Zahawi when he was the vaccines minister saying something innocuous about vaccines, which was government policy and presumably was in agreement with the science. And uh, YouTube's algorithm took it down and put a COVID information, misinformation warning up on it, which was quite confusing. So it's dangerous when they have these algorithmic solutions. But rewinding a little bit, the, the philosophical difference between 
the left and the right. It isn't really easy on the right either. Uh, my line in the sand on freedom of speech was, if you're not inciting violence, then anything goes. But then there is the, the traditional problem of, if you're shouting fire in a crowded theatre, do you have a right to do that when you can cause problems? And I think with COVID misinformation, you are getting to that kind of territory, shouting fire in a theatre, which is going to uh, harm the theatre girls, or in this case, the YouTube watchers. But it makes very hard decisions that the people at the other end, uh, at the big tech platforms, are what they're going to do. They're under pressure from the regulators and government to stop all this disinformation and, uh, uh, and online abuse that politicians aren't enjoying receiving, which is making the whole issue blurred. Uh, if you think back a few years, uh, it was 2012 when we had the Arab Spring, we were all going on how great it was that we had uh, YouTube and, and Twitter to distribute that kind of, uh, to allow that kind of rebellion and anti-government uh, uh, movements to begin. Then you fast forward it to 2020 and Trump's QAnon Patriot Boys, whatever they're called, are, <laughs> are leading a attack on the uh, Capitol building and it's not such a good, not such a popular idea anymore. Yeah, and of course, I mean, the Arab Spring was a prime uh, time, I remember, for people defending the right, for example, to anonymous Twitter accounts, uh, which are now under attack. We've also got the online harms bill, uh, which is particularly worrying, I know, to a lot of our friends in the wonk world, in the, the libertarian Tufton Street uh, buildings uh, that I often frequent, because, uh, unfortunately, while Nadine Doris uh, does talk the talk on a lot of the issues we do, BBC and free speech and all that, she's also got, uh, she was a, as a previous mental health minister and uh, nurse, uh, she is very concerned about uh, the the online abuse that is going on on social media, and I think that's leaning her into pursuing the online harms bill, which gives social media this duty of care, which seems uh, to really lean into that whole uh, free speech attack that we may, we've already seen the beginning of. So, arguably, I can't see things getting, uh, getting better anytime soon. I think they're just going to carry on getting worse, but hopefully, so long as uh, you know the the evil right wing media that Navarra constantly do down day after day uh, stand up for free speech uh, and and stand alongside our comrades in their time of need. Then hopefully we will continue to see YouTube uh, reinstating these unfairly taken down uh, YouTube channels, and that's all there we can do. There is an obvious solution. I don't want to get too geeky, which is decentralised social media, where you have platforms that are open, open source and open web, that you can um, control your own platform and yet the platforms uh, interact with other platforms. So if you have an open uh, Twitter analogy, if you have an open site where you can have Twitter-like functions, but you actually own the platform, control the platform, and it's hosting your server. And people can follow from their server, your server. It sounds quite complicated, but it is actually something that is possible and does work. And it has the advantage that as long as you, you've got control of the actual physical hardware, it's hard for government 
or big bad Google, Facebook or Amazon to shut down. And I think in the future, that's the direction people will go, particularly as the hardware becomes really cheap and broadband bandwidth becomes almost um, free, then we'll all have our own platforms that will interact and will behave like social networks, but actually you won't be able to be deleted. You'll still be able to block people you don't want to hear from, but you won't have your platform taken away from you. In much the same way that it's very difficult for anybody to take away our own website. Uh, you know, I've gone to a lot of effort to make sure that our website will be protected uh, with our First Amendment rights because it's hosted in the States. Uh, and <laughs> it's very difficult for people to attack us. Um, apart from on copyright, where interestingly, the American uh, record industry, recording industry and all that has got extraordinary powerful laws where you can breach copyright, they can come and take away your website URL. And uh, the American Supreme Court has backed that up. So that's why you've got to be careful about copyright. I wouldn't be surprised, by the way, if it turns out that uh, Navarra Media infringed some copyright problem, and that is why their uh, YouTube site was taken down. I don't know, but it's a possibility. Well, there we are. Paul has uh, given some very uh, wonky ideas there that I'm sure Aaron Bastani and his fully automated luxury communist uh, doctrine uh, will incorporate with due diligence. Uh, well, automated, automated autonomy seems to be something that should appeal to Aaron Bastani's uh, mindset. It certainly appeals to mine. Well, there'll be a second book soon, I'm very sure, for Aaron there. Uh, so we'll leave uh, our audience to think over the day's events and, and our proposals about what could change going forward. And uh, we will see you in our next Guido Talks. Thank you very much.